In partnership with Trauma-Free World, the International Network of Children's Ministry presents Trauma-Informed Children's Ministry, a podcast series dedicated to equipping children's ministry teams in order to elevate trauma-informed care of kids and families in the church. We believe children's ministry is the most futuristic and strategic ministry of the church. When you're on the front lines of this key ministry, you need to be informed about how to effectively serve today's kids and equipped to create environments where all kids can meet with Jesus. And preparing you to do that is what this podcast is all about. Are you ready? Let's dive in. My name is Michaela White, and I get to serve as the executive director for INCM, as well as the host for this podcast. I'm grateful to explore today's topic with Julie Cooper. Julie serves as Senior Vice President of Training and Curriculum at Trauma-Free World, and she is a champion for the way children's ministry leaders impact kids with hard stories. In the previous episode, Julie, Dr. Chris Corbett, and I discussed the impact of trauma on children from a biological standpoint. Today, Julie and I are going to be discussing how trauma shows up behaviorally in children. This is really going to help us as children's ministry leaders to identify and more clearly understand some of the tough behaviors we can experience in our ministries. Julie, thanks for bringing your expertise to this conversation. I'm so excited to dig in with you. You're welcome, Michaela. It's great to be here again. So as leaders who work with kids, we definitely know that behaviors are a normal aspect of what it means for anyone who works with kids. We're going to encounter behavior. Um, So I think it would be really helpful if you could frame up for us how people in general respond to stressors and how behavior is really connected to survival for us. Yeah. All behavior has meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, if If we stop and think about this, we know it. But I don't think we stop and think about it enough. Um, you know, we, t- we talked about the idea of getting curious, not furious. So right. when we see behaviors, what is going on? What is the meaning behind this behavior? So the interesting thing about stress, and this applies to all of us, especially because of the recent pandemic. The interesting thing about stress is that stress, um, the stress chemical cortisol actually breaks down our neurological connections. It breaks down our body's immune system. Um, it has some pretty negative effects when it stays in high amounts. Mm-hmm. So when we are in high times of stress, our body naturally goes to, hey, I, I need to do some things to take care of myself. And our body goes into a stress mode that actually looks pretty selfish from the outside because it is, it's a self-centered um, biological, if you will, approach to our body. So when we're stressful, when we're feeling overloaded and stressed, we start to do things that are very, that matter to me right now. Yeah. Um, it's even been said that in that stress brain, we really only think about 15 seconds out. Okay. Uh, so am I thinking about my long-term goals anymore? Not really so much. This makes us reactive. This makes us impatient. This makes us make poor choices. Even if that rational part of our brain knows I should not eat this donut um, or or I actually know that that kid's behavior might be coming from somewhere, but I'm irritated. I yell at him. Mm-hmm. Those same things happen in kids as well, but they're immature. So even more, it's even more glorified. So when we're in stress, our behavior really looks, it looks very survival focused. And we see a lot of the fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. Um, you can Obviously, we know that fight is defend my own thing. 
flight. I got to escape this thing. I'm just going to run away. And, and freeze really looks like checking out. That looks like uh, I'm just going to go to the safe place in my head, or I'm just going to self numb myself. We all do that during stressful times. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about kids who come in with toxic stressors, we know that that's going to be even more amplified. Yes. Yeah. So it's a really helpful baseline for us to establish when it comes to behavior and understanding, you know, what it's communicating and maybe why we're responding a certain way. How do belief systems that kids with trauma develop then influence their behavior? Hmm. You know, behavior comes from somewhere. We've just said that so much behavior comes out of our emotions and our emotions are built up by our belief system. So we think of our belief system as the words we've heard and the experiences that we've had. Mm -hmm. If you're a child who's come from an abusive or a neglectful home, the belief system is I'm not loved. Um, I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. Uh, and, and many kids have heard these words. It, it hurts us to think of it. <clears throat> many kids have heard these kinds of words. Why are you just like your father? Um, why aren't you smarter? What, what, all these things. And then the experiences of, I'm not going to care for you. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to feed you. I'm going to physically harm you. Mm-hmm. Builds emotions that are obviously negative, which turns into negative behavior. Um, this is why the belief system is so important. Behaviors don't come out of nowhere. They find their roots in our belief system. This is one of the reasons that when we just try to manage behavior, we may get compliance in the moment, but we don't get long-term heart change. And we're not looking, especially in the church, we're not looking for just instant compliance. We're looking for long-term heart change, which means we need to go back to the belief system That's why we spend our time in God's truth and serving and loving kids. New emotions come out of that. And then we can see new behaviors. Mm. That's really, really, um, I know it's a lot to take in, but I'm so encouraged by it because it gives us a very hope-filled view of of where. Absolutely. You know, Michaela, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, well, I'm not a parent. I'm just a volunteer. I'm only with kids one time, one hour a week two hours a month. What difference can I make? This is the difference. Yes. Everyone and, and research has, has shown this in case there's any scientific minds out there wondering, Oh, has this been proven? It has when safe adults offer new words and new experiences, even if it's just, I am so glad you're here today. I'm going to be here every, whatever it is, first Sunday of the month. And I love to see you. That is a new word. And that is a new experience of someone who's committed to them. Even if it's only an hour or two a month, we have seen that that actually makes a difference for kids to grow in their um, understanding that I can trust safe adults who are going to value me. Yes. Okay, leaders listening, you need to send this podcast to your volunteers right now so that they can hear that and know what an incredible difference Mm-hmm. an opportunity they have to make a difference in the life of the kids that are coming to your ministry. It's huge. You know, the lens through which we see behavior is obviously critical, like we've established. But one of the challenging realities we come up against on this topic is, you know, that there's nuance and layers involved. Like, um, 
you know, I think it can be challenging when people can feel like we're justifying bad behavior Mm -hmm. or, you know, we're not quote unquote calling it what it is. Can you speak to that a bit? Oh, I would love to speak to that. So as we talked about the idea of reasons behind behavior, um, first, I just want to mention how there are so many reasons behind behavior and even think about our own bad, quote unquote, bad behavior, if you will. Um, sensory overload, blood sugar crashes. I'm tired. I'm scared. Uh, I, I'm immature. Mm-hmm. So one thing I hear often is, but isn't it just sin? Um, isn't this just the uh, child's sin nature that they're running up to grab food before everybody else and they clearly don't care about others? Um, I, I really just, I want to invite everyone into the experience of what it could be like to be a child who's come from trauma, abuse, and history, from the child who's in that survival mode, the, the child who doesn't know the next time he's going to eat, and does he run and knock everybody over to get a snack? Yeah, he does. He does because he is actually in survival mode mm-hmm. where his body literally has to think about itself first. Mm-hmm. It's not that this child has chosen. They want to be defiant to what scripture says about the first <laughs> shall be last. Um, it, it is because of past experiences in their life. So, so can it be sin? Absolutely. Just as you and I act out of yeah. sin, Yeah. but there's still behavior. Um, there's still reasons for behavior that we can address despite the fact that, is it a sin to be selfish? Clearly the Bible says so. Can I still understand where it's coming from in that child? Yes. Mm -hmm. So when we look at what kind of real long-term impact can we have, because again, we're not looking for just micromanaging behavior in the moment. We're looking for real heart change. Yes. The way that I can really uh, affect and speak to that child's brain and body is through grace, love, and connection. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to mention, if I can, Michaela, there are six behaviors that we see. I've trained um, all over the world, and I these behaviors are everywhere. They absolutely look like bad behavior, but what we've come to recognize is that these behaviors are common protective strategies mm-hmm. that have developed in kids who have not learned that they can trust adults to get their needs met. Instead, they got to trust themselves. Mm -hmm. And so there's six common behaviors. I'm just going to point them out so that we can pause when we see them and consider where the root might be. So the first one is manipulation, right? Kids who have not been able to feel like they can trust adults, try to learn how to work the system. We see this everywhere. Mm -hmm. And adults still do this too. Absolutely. Adults who have not healed try to work the system because I don't feel like I can just voice my needs. Yeah. The second one is triangulation, right? So that means I'm going to get two other people to have an issue so that I can go unnoticed. Mm-hmm. The third one is lying. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, lying drives us crazy, right? And we'll, we even say, you know what? If you would have just been honest, you wouldn't have gotten in trouble. Nope, nope. History has told them protect myself at any cost. That is where lying comes from. It comes from, I need to avoid (laughs) a consequence. I know it's going to be bad. It's a fear-based behavior. Yeah. The next one is verbal aggression. Kids who are verbally aggressive have heard that verbal aggression somewhere else, and they know what it feels like to be scared and controlled by verbal aggression. So then they try to use that as a strategy. Yeah. Physical violence, of course, if I can't, if you have something I want and I 
don't think you're going to give it to me. I'll just hit you and take it. And then control. Kids who come from trauma and abuse, their lives have been marked by chaos. They desperately want to be in control of things so that they feel safe. Mm-hmm. So those behaviors, you put them on a list and say, yes, those are bad behaviors. They drive us crazy. But those are some protective strategy behaviors that we see kids use everywhere, everywhere in the world. And that is because they don't feel like they can actually use their voice to get their needs met. They're going to have to take care of themselves and they're going to have to use their behaviors. Mm -hmm. They they sound like um, when we say protective strategies, it's not like they went to a whiteboard and like, okay, what can I do? It just happens instinctually. Mm -hmm. Um, And absolutely, we see this in our adults as well. Um, But when we see it in kids, that is, again, that is when we get curious, not furious. And we start to wonder like what has happened? What, what is in your story that has caused you to feel like you need to behave this way? Yes. Oh, I'm just, I'm thinking about the leaders who are listening and processing through like, this is, this is a really critical lens for us to take as leaders and how we see not only the kids that we're serving, but the Mm -hmm. volunteers that we're leading. Yes the parents that we're coming alongside of. Um, And it can be really challenging because, you know, I think we can, we can, um, it's easier to, to probably get more furious and say, oh, well, they're just being selfish or, you know, they're being deceitful. And it's not that we're saying that the sin isn't there, but we're encouraging all of us to consider what is that? What's the root Yes, and what's the what's the wound that's in it festering mm-hmm. that needs the healing power of Jesus? Yes, and how do we open up the path for yeah. that? Um, so I appreciate you, you know, really digging into that with us. I think this is important for us. Yes, you're welcome. And you know, we talked about survival. Those so much behavior has its root in fear. Mm-hmm. Um, not just for kids, for adults as well. So we know that God does not desire that we operate out of fear. He's yeah. very clear in scripture yeah. that that's not what he wants for us. Yep. Um, and when we offer, when we offer grace and we offer relational connection, we actually help break down fear barriers. And then we start to see kids able to relate to us in a healthy way, mm-hmm. using, using things like their voice and manners and all those things we really want to see yeah. and not just behavior. Yeah, that's really good, good, Julie. Um, I'm thinking about just a next step for leaders from here. And, you know, I was, I was processing through as you were sharing, you know, some of the, the responses that fight, flight, or freeze. And even, you know, when we think about fear-based responses of lying and hiding, you know, I was thinking about a next step for the leaders listening and, you know, this is, this is, um, a a heavy topic Mm -hmm. to think. And, you know, this whole series is around a heavy topic and I don't think any of us look at, you know, all of the research on trauma and trauma informed care and think, Oh, this is exciting. You know, this is great. You know, it's, it's, it's the only things that's exciting is that we're learning how to love people better. Mm -hmm. But none of us really want these hard stories to be true of the journey of the kids and families that we're serving. And so 
I would just encourage you as a leader, if as you listen to this and listen to other um, episodes in this series, it's okay for you to take some space to lament the fact that we even have to have these conversations, Yes, that we even have to grow in knowing how to care for kids and families with these hard stories. The reality is, is this isn't how it should be. Right. And, um, you know, uh, if I'm, if I may, one of the things that's been really helpful for me in, in my leadership and my story and understanding lament is to recognize, um, you know, the, the, the rabbis and sages, as they unpacked the old Testament and, you know, the prophet Jeremiah and lamentations, they talked about lament. They used this phrase to describe it. They described it as the language of the border. And they said, when you sit at the border of what is and what you know should be, knowing that God's plan is for wholeness and shalom and restoration, that there is no pain, that there is no suffering, that there is unity and and goodness and wholeness, when you know that that's the plan and that is what's to come but you also sit in what is yeah you see more clearly than the rest of of the world who doesn't recognize what should be and it creates a grief and they they describe it as like sitting in your guts like it's it's at the core mm-hmm. of of you as a human and they said that 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 lament that grief can only go to God and can only be interpreted by him because he's the only one who understands it. That's good. And it makes sense because Paul talks about how we have an advocate that interprets our groans, right? Right. right. And, and so that's consistent, like with what they were saying there. And so I just want to encourage our leaders listening, like when we're talking about trauma-informed care and what it looks like to create spaces for our kids that we love and serve to meet with Jesus, we're also doing that with eyes wide open, sitting at the border of what we know should be and Mm -hmm. seeing what is and knowing like, oh, this isn't how it should be. And, And allowing that grief to have space and to be heard by God and interpreted by God and knowing, you know what, like he sits in that grief first. Um, I'll, I'll close with one of the things that changed my life about how I saw lament and grief and, you know, looking at these hard stories square on was um, learning about how the first word in the book of Lamentations is a Hebrew word called ayecha. It means, how can it be? That's the overarching question of the book of Lamentations is how can it be? This isn't how it should be. How can it be? Ayaha. One of the things that's amazing about Ayaha, Julie, is that it's got a word twin. This, this happens in the Hebrew language where it's the same construct of words. It's the same letters. It's just got a slightly different vowel. Okay. And so Ayaha has a twin word and it's called Aicha. And it shows up first in Genesis, right after Adam and Eve have sinned and they're hiding in the garden and God comes for their walk and talk in the garden and they're hiding. 
And what he says is, Aicha, where are you? Mm. This isn't how it should be. Yeah. And one of the things that has transformed my life is that for as long as we as humans have been saying, Aicha, how can it be? This isn't how it should be. Mm -hmm. Lamenting and grieving. The first lament was uttered by our king. Aicha, where are you? And I think we need to remember that as much as we look at these hard stories that we're navigating and we wish we didn't have to have these conversations, to be comforted by the fact that our king has entered that grief first, and he always has. And so I think that 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 can be something that we take as we sit at the border to remember that he's there first and he's with us. I love that. I love that. And because, and we put ourselves in that place. We want to in ministry, we want the hurting to come. Mm -hmm. Um, So we will be exposed to that more and more. And so Mm -hmm. that is, that's so powerful. Michaela, I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah. I, Really hope, friends, that as you listen to this episode and we talked through behaviors and what they're rooted in and and even some of the nuance of how we view it, that you're encouraged by the grace that you've been given and allowing that grace to be a lens, but also that you feel the freedom to lament and grieve the fact that we even have to have these conversations. Um, But we believe that the Lord is going to give us the wisdom, the understanding, the compassion and the grace we need to create spaces where kids can truly come to know him and love him and experience the transformation and hope that he offers. So I want to thank you so much for listening today and being a part of the conversations with us. We really do hope that it equipped you to elevate trauma-informed care in your children's ministry. Um, In our next episode, Julie and I are so excited to be joined by Dr. Chris Corbett as we explore the church's role in trauma competency, specifically as it relates to senior leadership and staff. Uh, I think it's going to be an encouragement to you. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. To learn more about INCM, you can get connected to what you need to serve kids and families at incm.org. And if you're ready to take intentional steps forward in trauma-informed care, connect the resources from our partners at Trauma-Free World. You can do that at traumafreeworld.org. We're glad you joined us today and we're here to support you. Cheering for you always, friends.